0: And uh, for you adults, let's come to the book of Daniel, please. Daniel, chapter 1. You might remember we started a series last week, was our first installment. We're in Daniel, chapter 1. And I gave you several introductory notes, and then we just scratched the surface. Let's begin reading in verse 3, verse number 3. So in verses 1 and 2, it just told us about Nebuchadnezzar coming in to take them captive, took the sacred things of God, the vessels of the temple took them into Babylon. And then in verse 3 it says, And the king spake unto Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, that he should bring certain, certain of the children of Israel and of the king's seed and of the princes. Now he's asking for the best of the best. He's looking for certain, we're going to get the details, the criteria in verse 4, but notice his children of Israel and of the king's seed. This could be the king of Israel. This could be of the king of Babylon. Anybody that they've taken captive, they're looking for the best of the best. Verse 4, children in whom was no blemish. Now, that's a physical thing, no blemish. So, you have all ten fingers and ten toes. Uh, Both eyes work, both ears work, no strange birthmarks. Uh, nothing withered. They, they wanted perfection. In verse 4 it says again, but well-favored. Right, so no blemish. That's a physical imperfection. But then on the other side of that, well-favored. Now this is more than just a popularity contest. When we think well-favored, that's more or less what we would think. But it goes a step beyond. This, this has to do with physical beauty. These people needed to be handsome. They needed to be attractive. And in that way, popular and drawing. So that if you put their face on a poster, everybody is drawn to that. It's the guy you want to vote for. It's the future of the Chaldean or the Babylonian nation. So well favored, yes, in in the popular sense, but also good looking. Um, Lest you think this is strange, right? There's been many attempts down through history to create what people call the master race. right? The, The most recent attempt is Hitler. And his idea, and I'm not going to get into all the scientific experiments he ran because it's, it's very gr- grotesque what he did, but he was trying to mix and match DNA to create the perfect human being. Now, he was going to do it through more or less natural means, just, you know, breeding the right people and all of that. He wanted the blonde hair, blue-eyed, uh, smart guy. That's what he was aiming for. And, of course, he went about it in a horrible way, but everybody has their idea of physical and mental perfection. The Babylonians no exception. Children in whom was no blemish but well favored and skillful in all wisdom and cunning in knowledge and understanding science. So this is just natural intelligence. They need to be quick-witted. They would probably have given them our equivalent of a, an IQ test, right? To, that, that intelligence quotient to find out just how smart they are. Now you have something interesting mentioned here Understanding science. You don't have the word science show up in your Bible that often. You have it here. You have it once in 1 Timothy 6, verse 20, where it talks about science falsely so-called. We're warned to watch out for that. Let me say uh, real quick here, I believe in science. I'm all for science. I have nothing nothing against real science. And what the Babylonians are looking for here, kids that understand science. Science, and I say kids, forgive me, the word children is there. We're talking teenagers up to young 20s. That's the age group they're aiming for. So science, right, the scientific method is to be able to, let's say, go into a lab or into a controlled environment, run an experiment, test something, come to a conclusion, and then repeat the test and come to that conclusion, repeat the test. It's a repeatable and verifiable outcome. It's through human observation you can see a plus B equals C, right? And when we're talking human observation, what we can see with our eyes, what we can look at under a microscope through a telescope, nothing wrong with science there. I mean science is wonderful in that I mean look at how much it helps us just in the medical field. Right? When you look at engineering and the technology that goes into that, science has done some wonderful things. So let's give credit where it's due. Is my mic going up and down again? I feel like I'm getting louder, so somebody stop me if it gets too loud, but I'm going to keep going otherwise. So I have nothing against science. Where I get sideways with science is what they call forensic science. I call it that. That's a term that's often used. I'll explain what I mean by that. Is when you take the observable facts, right? A plus B equals C, and then the scientist or whoever gets a hold of that outcome and says, okay, the answer here is C. But since the answer is C, that means that a million years ago, and he starts telling a story, right? Uh, he puts together a theory based on what he observed. Now, it's one thing to say, I ran this test, I came to this conclusion. It's a whole other story to say, well, since that is true, then all of these other things must have been true, and all of these things down the road will be true. Y- you got to be careful to, li- to keep science within its boundaries. you got to keep science within its boundaries. Now, when I go to the Bible, and the Bible says that every animal is going to bring forth after its kind, right? So, And and forgive me, I'm just going to make this simple. I know this is more complex than this, but a dog is going to bring forth a dog, right? Somebody's getting good ideas out of that. You might want to check your phone there. But a dog is going to bring forth a dog. Likewise, a cat, a cat. A mango tree is going to bring forth mangoes. That's just... Now, that's what the Bible says in Genesis 1, right? See, they say, well, when the Bible talks about science, you know, well, we can't rely on the Bible for that because the Bible's a book of history. It's a book of religious philosophy. It's not a scientific textbook. Granted, the Bible was not written as a scientific textbook. But I believe where the Bible makes statements that are connected to science, it is faithful and true. So when you go out and look around in nature, an apple tree brings forth apples, that's Genesis 1, verses 9 and 10 and 11. That's a scientific fact. That is observable with our eyes. We can run the test and see that, right? Humans bring forth humans. Chimpanzees bring forth chimpanzees. Oh, you can say amen to that. We do. We, we see that. that that's, you see, that's not a knock against observable science. That's a knock against people making up stories based on a few scientific facts. The fact that there are variations within the kind Right, that there are variations within humankind, variations within animals. W- you know, within, uh, you know, dogs have different kinds of dogs. Let's say different you know, breeds of dogs. Yes, we get that. There can be mutations and variations, but a dog is not going to eventually turn into a cat. Right? Canines don't become felines and so forth. All right, so understanding science, what they're looking for is people that can run the experiments. Now, this is interesting, I think, to realize that even all the way back in the Babylonian period, We're talking 606 B.C. They were already interested in science. Not to the extent that we are now. They didn't have access to all the knowledge, but they still believed in running experiments, seeing what you come out with, and then applying that to future inventions and uh, just life in general. So it's interesting that all the way back there they already were thinking about it. Now it says, A cunning in knowledge, understanding science, and such as had ability in them to stand in the king's palace, back in verse 4, and whom they might teach the learning and the tongue of the Chaldeans. So they want kids, young people, forgive me, I keep saying kids, they want young people that have some special abilities, some special skills. They can grasp quickly, not just the basic things, but the higher level learning of the Chaldeans. They want to be able to teach them the tongue of the Chaldeans, so they need to be quick with the language. This is full-on indoctrination. They want to send them to school to indoctrinate them, not to make them smarter, but to make them Chaldean. Now think about that. It's not just to make them smarter. Smarter, yes, they're going to give them learning, knowledge, science. They already have some natural ability. Now they're going to heighten that ability, but it is for the purpose of making them Chaldean in their worldview. So that the way that they look at the world, they look at it through Chaldean lenses. Might I say higher education has often given itself to this. It's not necessarily, not only about making the person smarter, but forming their mind, shaping their mind to think in a certain way that it matches the worldview. And you're getting that in schools all over. Not just higher learning, not just university level. All the way down high school level, even to the elementary level. They are now, forgive me, I don't know if it's here to this extent. I know it's in South Africa to some extent. We have some teachers in our church that have come and told me some of the stories, and it's a bit heart-wrenching, heartbreaking. I know at the high, at the high school level, this is happening, but in America, all the way down to five-year-olds, they're giving them books saying it's okay for daddy to have a daddy, for, for two daddies to be in the house. And it's okay for, for two moms, and that's normal, that's natural. And telling a five-year-old, you need to make a decision whether you're a boy or a girl at the five-year-old level. And then there are some parents throwing a fit about that, saying, hey, that is not your place to teach my kids those kind of things. Teach them to read and write ABCs, teach them his. But don't you start telling them that he's a boy, but he's, he can wear a dress. That's not their place. They're overstepping their bounds. Now, even on campus, we were going to have a um, seminar last month, and I was going to, the, the goal was to teach a lesson about what the Bible says about homosexuality. I've taught that on the campus once before. I think it's a worthwhile topic because a lot of people have questions about it. And, and by the way, to give you a, a, a 10 second synopsis of it, the Bible says that homosexuals can be saved Amen. and that they need to be saved because homosexuality is a sin like any other habitual sin. Yeah. I say like any other, in the sense that you can be forgiven and you can change. You understand? So I wanted to make that clear. It's not, we're not there to bash anybody for those, those decisions. Many people that go down that path have done so because of pressure from their, from their social circles. They become confused. There was some trauma in their past. Whatever the case, there's a lot of reasons. It's not just they want to be wicked and they went and did that. All right, that's, that's our motive in that. Now, we did that a few years back. We had a pretty good turnout for that. I thought it went well. But I think it was last month. You students can correct me if I'm wrong. They had a gender identity week or month or something like that on the campus. Gender identity. That was identified on my birth certificate. It was. When they came out, congratulations, Mr. Flick. It's a... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, <laughs> identified. I, I don't need a week or a month to, why, why am I celebrating that? <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand. Now, now, you know what we're doing? They're, they're training people to say, listen, let's shift our worldview. Let's just change the way we think about that certain topic. And it's not just that topic. I'm, I mean, that's kind of the hot one of the day, but they, they just go round and round and are going to try to indoctrinate people to be ready for that next installment of of worldliness. Uh, Take your Bible. Let me show you some verses here. Come to Genesis chapter 34. As you find that, I I always want to qualify my statements here because I don't want you to think I'm against higher learning. I'm not against universities or schools. I, I, I think there's a lot of good that comes out of them. But you must, you have to recognize the dangers that come with it. Right, You have to acknowledge that while kids are going there to learn engineering or chemistry or whatever you know, liberal art they're studying, they're also learning a lot of other rubbish and stuff that really shouldn't be part of their education at whatever level. Genesis 34 verse 9. I want to show you quickly that one of the devices of Satan is to mix and mingle God's people with, I want to say, paganism the ways of the heathen, or just worldliness. You, you know, you say the word pagan and, and you think of somebody out there with witchcraft and all of that and, you know, bowing down to statues and stones. Paganism is much broader than that. It can be just worldliness, right? So I want you to see how, how the devil wants to mix and mingle people and bring everybody together so that we just act as one. No more distinction between light and darkness. And Genesis 34, you have a story here where Dinah, the daughter of Jacob, has uh, become involved with Shechem, and now Shechem wants to marry Dinah. And in verse nine, it says, "Make ye marriages with us." This is the Shechem, Shechem and his father Hamor are saying this to Jacob's boys: Make ye marriages with us and give. Give your daughters unto us, and take our daughters unto you, and ye shall dwell with us, and the land shall be before you. Dwell and trade ye therein, and get you possessions therein. So that's the deal. Guys, let's all be one. Let's be one. Now, what are the people of Shechem hoping to do? To assimilate, to bring them in, so that our customs and cultures blend together, so that we begin to talk the same, think the same, act the same. Look at verse 23. Of course, the deal was, Jacob's boys said, okay, we'll do it as long as you guys get circumcised. So we want that little bit of our culture in with you, right? That, that was the deal. They compromised. Now, they had a deeper plan. Verse 23, this is the Shechem, people of Shechem now uh, hearing this. Shall not their cattle and their substance, and every beast of theirs be ours. Only let us consent unto them, and they will dwell with us. So Hamor and Shechem say, guys, it's just circumcision. It'll hurt, but we'll be fine. And afterwards, we'll take the whole show. This is how we take them over. Do you see Satan's plan? Let's just mix and mingle, because in the end, he just wants to devour. He wants to swallow up anything that would make you uniquely Christian. He'll take that out. Take your Bible look at Numbers chapter 25. This is a theme. You'll find it throughout the Bible. Numbers chapter 25 and verse 1. Now, if you, just for the sake of time, we're not going to go back to a few chapters here. But Numbers chapter 22 Israel has pitched camp near Moab. And Balak, he's the king of Moab, and Balak sees. The Israelites coming and he realizes this is a massive group which, you know, could potentially overcome us in, in, a, in a battle, in a war. So he calls on a man named Balaam. And he says, Balaam, come curse me this people. Right? And through this curse, through this magic, destroy them so that he, he doesn't have to worry about them. I, th- I think you remember the story. Balaam tried. He went and tried to get the juju and God said, no juju for you. And then he went and he said, Listen, I, I, how can I bless, or how can I curse, rather, whom God has blessed? And then, and then Balak says, Listen, try a little harder. I'll pay you double, that kind of thing. And so Balak, or Balaam, sorry, goes back and tries again. And again, he says, Listen, I, this is not going to happen. But you find this through reading what I'm going to show you now. You can also go into Revelation 2 and find it. But Balaam calls Balak for a private meeting and says, psst, buddy, come here. Let's have a chat behind the building, eh? <laughs> so they go behind the building kind of, you know, and they, he says, uh, listen, listen, listen. I can't curse these people. God has blessed them. God's protecting them. Here's the plan. If you can mix and mingle with them enough, they will learn your ways. They will take on Moabite behavior, and then God himself will punish those people and destroy them. So if you really want to destroy them, become one with them. And, Bala- and Balaam walks off with a wink, you know. <laughs> he says, no, you didn't hear that from me. <laughs> and he walks off, you know. <laughs> well, a few chapters later, Balaam ends up dead in a battle. He gets wiped out. And it's interesting because Balaam at one point said, let me die the death of the righteous. Let my last end be like his, like Jacob's. I mean, he sounded so pious. But then he ends up dying this... Very ignominious death out there in, in a battle. But here's what happened Numbers 25, 1. And Israel abode in Sheddam, and the people began to commit whoredom with the daughters of Moab. Mixing and mingling. Know what happens when you do that? Verse 2. They called the people unto the sacrifices of their gods, and the people did eat and bow down to their gods. Teach them our ways so that they begin to think like us, act like us, love the things we love, be interested in the things we're interested in, and on it goes. That's the devil's plan. And by the way, he takes his time doing it. It's not going to be overnight. Little by little, he sneaks in. Come to Proverbs chapter 22. Proverbs chapter 22, get verse 24. And I'm going to give you one... Uh, passage just two verses here where you can see that by hanging around somebody long enough they will rub off on you you got to be careful of what kind of company you keep right it's it's one thing to be friendly we ought to be friendly with everybody yes it's another thing to make friendships with them do you understand the difference have you, have I feel like I've lost it again there it's one thing to be friendly we should all be friendly But friendships, we're talking about walking a path with somebody, spending time with them enough so that they rub off on you. So watch the warning, verse 24. Make no friendship with an angry man. Make no friendship with an angry man. And with a furious man thou shalt not go. So when we're talking friendships, what's the boundary here? Going places with them Walking the path with them, going to their, you see, you go with them. It's not just a chance meeting. It's not a hello, you know, friendliness, you know, an acquaintance, but you're actually moving about with them. Verse 25, lest thou learn his ways and get a snare to thy soul. You spend long enough with them, you'll start thinking like them, talking like them, acting like them. It won't happen immediately. And none of us are immune to this. Let him that thinketh he standeth take heed lest he fall. You say, I'm strong enough, I'll rub off on them. The old example I used to give in Malawi, I used to tell them, you get four fish, two clean, good, fresh fish. You get two nasty, rotten, spoiled fish. Put them in a box, tape the box shut, come back in a week. How do you think the box is going to smell? You think the two good fish are going to rub off on the bad ones? <laughs> That's just ridiculous. The whole thing's going to stink. And this is where you've got to be careful to draw that line. Let me ask you, the people in your life, are they helping you get closer to God? Or are they pulling you away from Him? Or are they helping you to be completely satisfied right where you're at so that you have no intentions of getting any closer to God? Dr. Ruckman used to tell us, it's an old saying, but it's true, birds of a feather flock together. Birds of a feather flock together. Take your Bible, come to Jeremiah chapter 10. Jeremiah 10, verse number 1. Jeremiah 10, and verse 1. It says, Hear ye the word which the Lord speaketh unto you, O house of Israel. Thus saith the Lord, Learn not the way of the heathen, and be not dismayed at the signs of heaven, for the heathen are dismayed at them. So they, the heathen put a lot of stock into the signs of heaven. They look at the stars, you know, they're into that astrology and where the stars line up and look at your zodiac sign. And that's that, this is just one example of a heathen thing where they think the stars actually play a role in their daily life. And they make decisions based off star positions. He says, guys, that's not how you're supposed to make decisions. Don't let that stuff rub off on you. Verse 3, for the customs of the people are vain. For one cutteth a tree out of the forest, the work of the hands of the workmen with the axe. They deck it with silver and with gold. By the way, this is not a Christmas tree. Many people think it is. It's not. They deck it with silver and with gold. They fasten it with nails and with hammers, that it move not. They are upright as the palm tree, but speak not. They must needs be born, because they cannot go. Be not afraid of them, for they cannot do evil, neither also is it in them to do good. God's saying, you got to watch out spending time with those heathen, because the stuff that they're busy with is useless they're they're dismayed at it they're excited by it god help me with this next part all right you find second corinthians 6 i'm going to work up the courage to say the next thing second corinthians 6 okay here we go i i enjoy sporting events Okay, I have no issues with sporting events. I love sports. I've been involved in them since I was a young, young man, young kid. Um, I have seen the heathen. This is not a South African phenomenon, by the way. This is a, this, the world over. I have seen the heathen dismayed at a sporting event. Let, let me take it out of South Africa to make you feel more comfortable. Have you seen Indians watching cricket? man they they can they can get into their cricket yeah you just look at the Americans watching their form of football basketball baseball they go nuts absolutely nuts now they're dismayed at it so much to the point that if their team loses they actually break down in tears they sob in the stadium before they leave now listen I'm all for cheering for your team I actually think it's a bit healthy to work out your aggression through sports. <laughs> I think it's a nice diversion in life, I really do. But come on, should we really put that much emphasis on it? Is not the world influencing us to say that sports is this important, when in God's eyes, it's not that important? See, I, I know that maybe you're not drawn to committing adultery, or, or, or uh, forgive me, idolatry. Adultery is probably fitting as well, but you're not drawn to idolatry. You don't want to worship statues and stones. But perhaps you have developed kind of the the thinking like the heathen. Well, certain things are just of the utmost importance. And maybe they're not. So, Second Corinthians six verse fourteen. We need to let the Bible and the Holy Spirit help us with what to put emphasis on. Second Corinthians six fourteen. Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light. With darkness, what concord hath Christ with Belial? That's another name for the devil. Or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? An unbeliever. What agreement hath the temple of God with the idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God hath said, I will dwell in them, and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Based on that, the outcome is verse 17. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord, and touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. There you get your fellowship. The devil is going to try to blend every, everybody and everything together. And, and by the way, that's prophetically, that's what we're moving towards with the Antichrist. He will blend it all together. So that's why we see the world emphasizing this whole get along thing. Stop, judge, stop saying anybody's wrong. Let everybody choose their version of truth. Truth is truth. Right? Now, you might have opinions on things that, where there is no objective truth, but two plus two is four. It is. Did, did you know that that is now a racist statement? That's right. There are some people in America getting sued for that. Two plus two is four. They say that's a, that's a creation of the European and Western society. Critical race theory. Come on, man. Two plus two was four way before anybody, any white man wrote it down. The white guy learned that from somebody else. You know that, right? I mean, the white man didn't come up with that. that, that that's, that's an Eastern thing. But anyway, that's another story. Come back to Daniel. I don't mean to get into that. Daniel chapter 1. So what the Babylonians are trying to do here is assimilate. They want everybody to learn the Chaldean way and influence their thinking. You need to let the Bible influence your thinking. You need to get so much of the Word of God in you that you know why you believe what you believe so that you're not blown about with every wind of doctrine. Right? Ephesians chapter 4, we're supposed to be rooted and grounded in the faith. Right? Daniel 1 and verse 5. It says, And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat and of the wine which he drank. So they're taking food off of the king's table and giving it to these young students so nourishing them three years that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now, they're doing this for three years, just, just getting them used to the high life to impress these young men. Some of them have been taken captive. These Jews, they've been experiencing famine for years, not having enough to eat, and now they get the king's meat and the king's drink. This seems like such a better life think about it if you're struggling to pay your bills and you only eat once a day maybe once you know every other day and all of a sudden you get three square meals a day not just enough but abundance and it's the best of the best food not just pop with a little bit of mealy and a little bit of relish we're talking filet mignon and I mean you know the the nicest of the nicest coming it's not just Brian Voor's we're talking fillet now This would be very compelling for a young man to look at this and go, this is the life I want to have. You see why they're doing it? Three years, just getting them used to it because after three years of it, it's hard to let go of it. It's hard to let go of the the high life. The devil knows that. The devil knows that for some of you, the best way to keep you from getting closer to God is to give you what you want in this world. The best way to keep you under his power is not to take things away, as he did with Job, but to give them to you, like he wanted to do with Christ. Look at all the kingdoms of the world and the glory of them. Just bow down, and I'll give you everything. That's one of the devil's tactics. Get you used to that high life, so that when there comes a time, you have to choose. Go back to Israel, where where you have to eat pop and relish. (laughs) once every other day or stay here and live in the king's palace doing the king's business? Well, it's an easy choice at that point. Now, let's also make quick mention here. The king's meat is probably meat that has been offered to Bel, B-E-L. That was the god of the Babylonian people at that time. And the drink likewise, probably this wine has been offered to Bel. So it has that pagan twist to it. And the meat is most likely not kosher. To whatever extent right the jews had a peculiar diet we call it a kosher diet so there's a good chance that there were two things wrong with it from the jewish standpoint uh, verse number well before we leave verse five let me just point out they were going to do it for three years three years the devil the devil plays the long game if the devil can't get you on a sunday morning just get you a little confused if he can't get you in one week he'll take a month if it takes him a year, he'll take a year. If it takes him three years, he'll take three years. The devil's not worried. If it's a slow game, if, he, if it takes him 10 years to ruin you, he'll take 10 years. He has your entire life to take you down. He's not in a hurry. He'll just take you baby steps, baby steps, baby steps. He'll, listen, some of you had a heart that was so on fire for Christ, and maybe the devil can't get it to cool off overnight. He'll just blow gently. Until that fire dissipates and slowly, slowly, it waxes cold. Slowly, slowly. Just one little compromise at a time. Don't even realize it's happening. The devil play the long game. On, on the other side of the coin, Jesus walked with his disciples for three years. Do not expect, right? This is the negative version of it. To indoctrinate them in the Chaldean way of life. But the same is true becoming a Christian. You think, okay, I made this decision. I've received Christ as my Savior. Bam, I'm a Christian. No, no, you're saved. The moment you received Christ, you are saved. The Holy Spirit lives within. But that doesn't mean you're a full-on disciple. You can be saved. That means Jesus lives in your heart. You have eternal life. But being a disciple, you have to continue in his word. Jesus said to some Jews that believed on him, John chapter 8, they believed on him. He said, now if you continue in my word then are you my disciples indeed. A disciple is a learner. That's what the word disciple means. You're not going to learn it overnight. What did Jesus tell the apostles? Follow me I'll make you fishers of men. He didn't say I'll make you fishers of men overnight. You cannot come to church once a month, twice a month, and expect for the things of God to rub off on you enough to change you. Can't happen. You cannot crack your Bible once a week, read a handful of verses, and expect the image of Christ to rub off on you. Not going to happen. Guys, you got to play the long game when it comes to Christ. It's going to... Just as the devil will slowly, slowly move you towards his goal... The same thing with the Lord. It's going to take slow progression to get you where He wants you to be. It's not an overnight thing. You need to determine in your heart, purpose in your heart, I'm in it for the long haul. And if it takes me three years before I can stand before the King and be usable to Him, I'm in it for the long haul. Then He can begin to use me. But most people in our modern day society, you know, we're in this push-button fast food society. Drive up, place the order, in America it's 30 seconds here it's like you know 15 minutes but 15 minutes later they give you the food and off you go we got that fast food mentality let me come to church and let the you know let's sing a few songs wave a few hands hit a few amens off we go now it takes more than that takes a lot more than that verse number six now among these were of the children of Judah Daniel Hananiah Mishael and Azariah those were their Hebrew names verse 7 unto them unto whom rather the prince of the eunuchs gave names for he gave unto Daniel the the name of Belteshazzar and to Hananiah of Shadrach and to Mishael of Meshach and to Azariah of Abednego I think you're probably much more familiar with those uh, Babylonian or Chaldean names right Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego we, we know those names quite, quite readily now the idea of changing names um, this is ubiquitous in the world you find this all over Abram became Abraham, right? God does this. Jacob becomes Israel. Simon becomes Peter. Saul in the New Testament becomes Paul. Uh, so the fact that somebody has a name change that often signifies some massive change in their life. Sarai became Sarah. Some, some pivotal point changed them. As missionaries went out all throughout church history, they would go to some foreign land and they would offer people Christian names. I know that's a thing here in Africa. I find that quite a bit. Somebody, I'll introduce myself. I'm Mike. And they'll say, my Christian name is this. And what happened, you know, however long ago, Christians came to that area, missionaries, and gave people biblical names. And the idea behind that, I'm talking generally now, was to do away with the pagan culture that they had because many times their names were connected to their pagan deities, right? Can I just be real honest with you? I think a lot of those times it was because we couldn't pronounce the name. <laughs> your name is what? What? I, I, I cannot pronounce three clicks in a name. I, I, can't, I can't do that, so your, your name is now John. <laughs> That's done, you know. In India, I, I, I think I've told you the story a few times, but I had that Hindu man get saved and right after I baptized his wife, and he was a Hindu extremist. He had been beating his wife for a couple of years, and it was just a great story how he got saved. But then afterwards, he said, give us new names. And I said, well, tell me what are your names now? To this day, I, I cannot repeat it. And it's not because it's, you know, I just can't pronounce those words. They were so difficult. I'm sure if I wrote it down and practiced it, I could. But that, now their names are Paul and... and um, Oh, shit. Phoebe, Phoebe from Romans 16. So I can, I can pray for Paul and Phoebe much easier. But see, that has nothing to do with now that you have a, a new Christian name, you're magically spiritual. You understand? It just shows that there's been a change in your life and it marks the moment. And again, this is another tactic of the Babylonians to try to get all the Hebrew and Jewish culture out of these, these young men. You are full-on Babylonian now. So they were using these names. Now verse 8 But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself." All right, so this is where we want to end up our lesson today. As I mentioned earlier, the food and the drink could have been offered to Baal, or Bel, B-E-L. It uh, probably was not kosher. And I think at the end of the day, Daniel probably had two or three things going here. He didn't want to be Babylonian. He wanted to retain his Hebrew culture. But I think deep down, the real thing is he knew this wouldn't be pleasing to God. It wasn't just a human thing where he wanted to stand his ground to make a point because he's a strong young man. Even though he was a young man, he'd been through a lot, and God had just wrecked the nation of Israel. Daniel personally still had a walk with God. And he said, I don't care if everybody else is doing it. I'm not going to do it. Now, now stop and think about this for a moment. We know by the end of the chapter, we'll we'll get there next week, Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they they fell in line with this. And they said, okay, if you're not going to eat it, neither will we. Thank God that we have some people around us that will stand with us. Amen. Doesn't that make it easier? Oh, it's so much easier. So much easier. We all need that. But in the beginning, it was just Daniel. We have Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. You know there were other Jews that got taken into this captivity? There were probably other Jews that were chosen to eat the king's meat and drink that king's wine and you know, get the training. And these other Jews said, oh, come on, what's so bad about it? We're, we're not at home anymore. We're, we're not in Israel anymore. I mean, the same things don't apply, right? We're in Babylon. When in Rome... <laughs> Went in Rome, you know, do as the Romans. And, and Daniel said, no, I don't care what land I'm in. I'm a follower of Jehovah. I'm a follower of the Lord God, creator of heaven and earth, and, and that's just not right. I don't care where I'm at. There were other people doing it, and yet he stood his ground. He was a young man, students, 17 maybe, 18, 18. Even if you push it to 20, that would be the top side of this age bracket. At that age, he's taking a stand. Take that stand now, students. Now, you older folks, you're not without hope. You can still take a stand. It just gets a lot harder once you get into your 30s and your 40s and your 50s because you've been doing it one way for so long. And it might require a massive change in your life. It might change your whole lifestyle. Amen. It might change a lot, and that, that takes a lot of courage. That takes a lot of determination. You better know what you're doing it for, who you're doing it for. A few verses and we'll be done. Come to Psalm chapter 17. It says, Daniel purposed in his heart. He purposed in his heart. So the first thing you need to do is find a purpose. Find something worth standing for. Just ask yourself this. The thing that you stand for now, the thing that's most important to you, the thing you're most passionate about now, will it still mean anything five seconds after you're dead? I think it's a fair question because one day you're going to be dead. Right? The kids are at Sunday school, don't worry. We don't want to scare him, but you're going to die. <laughs> you are. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that there are things in this world that you shouldn't be passionate. You can be passionate about some things, right? I hope you love your job. I hope there are some temporal things that you enjoy doing. There's nothing against that. But when it comes to the eternal things that matter, shouldn't that grab your attention? Shouldn't you set your affection on things above not on things on the earth? I think that's a, that's, a, that's a biblical thought. Psalm 17 verse number 3 it says here, Thou hast proved mine heart, thou hast visited me in the night, thou hast tried me and shalt find nothing. I am purposed that my mouth shall not transgress. David had made it a point in his heart he is not going to just do it accidentally. He's going to do it purposely. He, he's intentionally, right? When we say on purpose, you're doing it intentionally. He's made up his mind. I don't care how bad. Listen to this part. I don't care how bad life is. I don't care how difficult it is. I am not going to use my mouth for something wrong. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to gripe. I'm not going to lie. I won't be deceitful. I'm, not, I'm just going to say what's true. I'm going to be honest. My yay is going to be yay. He had to purpose in his heart. He said, God, you can test me day or night, no matter what's going on, that's where I stand. That's a good stand to take. Look at uh, Acts chapter 11. Acts chapter 11, verse 23. If you're going to purpose in your heart to do something, you have to do what's right, not what's convenient. You have to do what's right, not what's convenient. You have to do what's right and not what's popular. It doesn't matter how many other South Africans do it that way. You have to determine in your heart, I'm going to do it God's way. It doesn't matter if people understand or don't. Acts 11 and verse 23 Barnabas has come to Antioch. He's seen what God is doing. It says, Who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. In other words, you guys have started well. Now, hang on to the Lord. Don't let this slip, but you've got to do it from your heart. You've got to make that commitment, that dedication to say, I don't care where, where the pressure's coming from. I'm going to hold on to the Lord. One last place, get 2 Corinthians chapter 1. 2 Corinthians 1 and verse 17. We sing a song. We sing it fairly often called A Flag to Follow. I just want to read you one verse of it. I sought a ringing answer for all my doubts inside a torch of truth uplifted my searching steps to guide I sought a word of wisdom a true authority I sought to know life's purpose to solve its mystery and then the refrain powerfully says I found them all in Jesus the life the truth the way beneath beneath his flag I'll take my stand and follow him today this guy says I was looking for a purpose Something worth standing for in life. I found it all in Jesus. Amen. Amen. That's true. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 17. When I therefore was thus minded, did did I use lightness? You You think I was joking? Or the things that I purpose, do I purpose according to the flesh? Maybe you ask yourself that question this morning. The things you take a stand for, the things you intentionally do, the things you write into your day planner. Are they according to the flesh? According to the world? How many of those things are according to the Spirit of God? He says that with me there should be yea, yea, and nay, nay. He says, guys, when I told you I would do something, I meant it. Because Paul was a, a, a dedicated man. He had a purpose. And he knew the things I'm planning to do, they're important. They are of God. So if I say I'm going to do it, you can count on me to do it. If you tell us today... Pastor, I'm in. I'm in. Anything Christ wants me to do, by His grace, through His help, I'm going to stand for Him. Can we believe that? Have you purposed in your heart to stand for Him? With that being said, let's all stand. (laughs) Let's all stand. Father, help us as we've uh, looked at these verses. We know that the pressure from the world is intense. And uh, their intention is to transform our minds. To think like them, Lord, help us. We want to be conformed and transformed by the renewing of our mind to know what is that good, acceptable, and perfect will of God. Bless our service to come and the fellowship we can now enjoy. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.